Hey everyone, this is Brian with Church in the Loop. So glad you could join me today. And we are looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. And we're going to talk about waiting on God today and three things that that will change in your life for, for the good. So let's, uh, let's pray and we'll dive into the Word together. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to meet together over and in your Word and I pray that as we look at this little passage of Scripture, I know there's a lot of really neat things there for us that you want to speak to us and feed our souls with. And I just pray, Lord, that as we look at it together, that what we need to see, we would see, and the insights would be from you. And I pray that you would feed us in a way that the world can't. And so we trust in you for that, and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, right now... Um, and I apologize if you hear sirens, and if you hear my neighbor, uh, he's like working on his house, so you may hear some pounding <laughs> construction. Um, I'm definitely not in a studio. This is real, real life, real world, um, which is kind of cool, I guess, because, hey, faith is meant for the real world, right? I mean, it's meant for being out there and um, living life, so there you go. <laughs> uh, right now, I'm waiting. I'm playing a waiting game. Uh, so Wednesday... I earlier earlier this week, that night I started like I had a, a rush of a head cold. Um, it just really hit me really fast. I felt tired, achy, just like oh no, I'm fighting something. Um, headache, and uh, even had like a, a fever, and so went to bed. And in the days of COVID, you know that's not a good thing to have those kinds of symptoms. So I woke up the next morning and I called off work, which I hardly ever call off uh, in the many years I've been working there. I mean, I can count pretty much on one hand how many sick days I've had. And I'm not saying that to brag. It's just um, I'm just not one that typically does something like this. And so it's really unusual for me to call off. And so I called off and when I was because I still had a fever in the morning and now those symptoms seem worse. I had a headache. And when I ate a banana for breakfast, I could not taste it. Uh, when I had my coffee, I couldn't taste it either. It just tastes like warm, warm liquid. And it's really weird when you lose your sense of taste and smell um, and you're trying to eat food. It just, it, I mean, you, you have this texture of this item in your mouth, but that's it. It's like you don't have any, any flavor at all. And so anyway... Um, I thought, you know what, I better go get tested for COVID um, because I'm, I'm having some of the symptoms that are listed for it. So um, I, we Googled where I could go. There's a testing site or they had a, a location nearby that was free to the public and started at 9 o'clock. So I got there a little after 8.30 and there was already a ton of cars waiting and I got in line with my car. And after I got there, I mean, people just kept coming and coming and coming. And I was in row three. Each row is about a football field long. And they ended up being like 14 rows of cars. Um, and then they, they move each row to another parking lot to stage you for another movement to the actual place you pull up. And they, they roll down your window and they, they swab your nose. So it could have been even more cars after me that I didn't see, but it was 
I would say hundreds of people getting tested. It was unbelievable. I ended up waiting about three hours. Um, the whole experience took about three hours. So if you have to go get tested, um, make sure you don't drink a lot of coffee that morning because that made it challenging. Um, but hey, God helped me through it. So, <laughs> And now I'm waiting for the test results, um, which could come at any time. I hope they come sooner than later. Um, so uh, the good news is I'm feeling better, and my sense of taste and smell is starting to come back. The headache is still there, but it's not near as bad as it was. The fever's gone. Um, so thank God for that. So if I have COVID, I'm hoping it's just a mild case. Um, or if I don't have it, then I've got something really weird that looks and sounds like COVID. So I don't know. Um, just I'm just waiting. I'm playing this waiting game. And... It's really weird when you play like a waiting game like this because it, it really like takes over your thinking and it, it's like it's like the, the main thing in your mind and it's the main uh, expectation of, okay, when is my phone going to ring that I'm going to get this answer for? And your whole day is kind of built around that expectation um, I'm doing other things, obviously, here at home. I'm not going into work, but I, um, I'm definitely keeping myself busy, but I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And so it's, it's just kind of a, it's a different type of existence when you are in the waiting game. In some ways, it's hard because you're waiting for something that's not there yet, but you know it's coming. Well, today I want us to look at waiting on God. There's when you read the Psalms, there's a lot of Psalms about waiting on the Lord and waiting patiently on the Lord and waiting for Him to answer our prayer, waiting for Him to hear our, to answer our cries. We know He hears, but waiting for that answer, um, waiting on Him to make a way, waiting on His will to be revealed. So waiting is something that you see in Scripture a lot. And I think as modern people today, I know for me, um, waiting is definitely a hard thing to do. We, we live in a very instant world, an instant society, and waiting is definitely something that's, um, you know, it's just not fun to do, and it's not something that we see as valuable to do. And so I think in all of our lives, we, we, we literally try not to wait um, very much at all for anything. And so um, this passage has a lot to teach us, I think, especially us modern people living 2,000 years later where things come quickly to us, that waiting is a valuable part of what it means to be human, but also to seek after God. And waiting needs to be built into your spiritual exercise program. Um, I love to exercise, and I have all these different ones that I like to do, and um, like for me, I wish I had a garage or a basement. We live in an apartment on the third floor, so our space is really, really tight. But I wish I had like a garage or a basement that I could just set up as a gym. Um, it would be amazing. <laughs> and, you know, I love doing different exercises. Um, and for me, it's just so refreshing and fun. And and it's it's got, you know, when you get done, you, you feel tired, but it's a good kind of tired. I think waiting needs to be one of those exercises that we build into our spiritual life and we seek after God on how to do that better. Um, because, again, 
it's not something that you're going to do naturally, and it's not something that always feels good. Um, but waiting is definitely something that I think we need. It's one of those gym exercises that we don't want to do. Um, and we, There's some that I love doing, and there's some that I, I really don't like doing because they're just so hard um, and truly uncomfortable to do. But I know they probably do the most benefit. So let's look at waiting today in this passage in Mark chapter 15. So a little background on this passage. So Jesus has just been crucified, and in Mark's gospel, Mark leaves out a lot of details that the other gospels kind of go into. Um, Mark just kind of cuts to the chase and says, you know, boom, 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 here's what happened. Um, the gospel of Mark, it's really an action-centered gospel. It's, it's, it's basically saying, look, following Jesus is a life of adventure and action. There's nothing boring about it. Just read this and you'll see. And so that the message is, you know, don't get lost in the details. Um, the relationship will take you and move you forward. Just stay tuned to that. Stay tight with that relationship with the Lord, and, and your life will move forward with Him. And so when we come to this passage of Jesus who has just died on the cross, um, we actually see that same idea come through. And we see how waiting is part of the action of following God. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive and it sounds contradictory, but we're going to see how waiting is a part of following God. So let's look at the passage together and look at three benefits that waiting on the Lord brings. So starting in verse 42, it says, When evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was himself waiting expectantly, maybe circle that in your Bible or underline it, waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now let's pause there for a moment. Joseph of Arimathea, he's a member of the council, probably the, the ruling Jewish council in Jerusalem, probably um, one of the very privileged elite leaders in all of Israel. And he's waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, I think there's a couple things interesting on this. Number one, that means his life is consumed about the kingdom of God. So you can't wait on something and be waiting for it if it's not in the forefront of your thoughts, if it's not something that is valuable to you and worth prioritizing with your time and energy and your thoughts. So he's waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, as an elite leader in, in Israel, he is in a special privileged position of power. Um, he, has, he has eyes that see the occupation of Israel by the Romans, by the Roman guards, the taxes that everyone is paying to Rome. So he's not blind to any of that. He also sees the zealots who their philosophy was fight the sword with the sword and let's kick out the Romans by killing them and waging guerrilla warfare. So he's not um, ignorant of those political forces that wanted to uh, take, kick out the invaders and recapture you know, the, the nation for itself. And yet it says he's waiting for the kingdom of God. He's, it's, he's not waiting for the right political ruler. He's not waiting for 
the right political circumstances. He's waiting for the kingdom of God. So at the very heart of who he is, is this solemn spiritual expectation that God's kingdom, which represents God's reign, God's influence, God's will, and God's ways, is the most valuable thing worth having in life. And because he has that mindset, he is described as a person waiting on God. Now, the question I have for you and I from this is, would that be said of us? Would that be said of you and me? Are we a people who are waiting for the kingdom of God through Jesus to be revealed, to come? You know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So at the very core of who we are, we need to be a people yearning for the kingdom of God to come in greater and greater degree. And when the kingdom of God comes, it touches every area of life. It's not just about, oh, say this little prayer and you go to heaven when you die. That's important. And it starts with saying a little prayer, yes, because the Bible says we just need a childlike faith to put our faith in Jesus, yes. So I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. But to yearn and wait for the kingdom of God means that you, at the root of your thinking, believe that the best news for the world is the will and ways of God to come down. And that's for all people everywhere. And for people who believe and even for people who don't. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't give us license to impose our religious views upon people who don't share them. But hopefully it gives us the empowerment to bring forth the things of God that would benefit those people, like equity, equality, love, justice, mercy, compassion. Those things that the Bible teaches that we are to walk humbly with our God and do. And that should benefit people of all religions and all persuasions, whether they agree with us or not. So this isn't licensed to say, well, I'm waiting for the kingdom of God, so therefore I'm going to go out and make people become Christians. No, this is I'm waiting for the kingdom of God, and I'm hopefully with my life exhaling the kingdom of God wherever I go. And I'm showing people what it looks like. Because if we show people what it looks like, that's the attractiveness, hopefully, that will win their hearts to say, you know what, the Lord will use that to bring them to faith. So that's our, that's our goal. So Joseph is a man who is waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, I want to pause for a moment on this too, because here's the, the question, the thing that I want you to see is, number one, when you wait for the kingdom of God, it brings you closer to Jesus. Because look at what happens to Joseph. He's waiting for the kingdom of God, and guess what? He's getting closer to Jesus. How? He's physically trying to get his body down off the cross so he can bury him. He's drawn to go get that body and give it a proper burial. Now, in a very simplistic sense, he's getting closer to Jesus, right? 
he would he have done that if Jesus was a liar and a thief and a murderer and all those things? You know, it's I don't know. But the thing is, is that he respected Jesus so much and he wanted to do this that waiting for him on the kingdom of God meant I need to I need to, I need to be involved right here right now with Jesus even though Jesus was a dead man on the cross. So when you take a step back from that and you apply that to your life, basically what it means is waiting for God in his kingdom is always about getting closer to Jesus. And so one way to look at that in your life is if you're effectively waiting on God for his kingdom to come, are you getting closer to Jesus? And that's real important to ask because and it's, it's never, we're never there. It's a trend. Like, am I trending in that direction? Am I growing in that direction? Or am I taking it for granted and just using my faith as a license to do whatever else I want to do? So that's the first thing that I want us to see is waiting brings us closer to Jesus. Okay. The second thing that I think is really interesting to note in this passage is, let's see what happens here. It says, all right, so he, uh, reading on, so he goes to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus, verse 44, then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to, Jesus, to Joseph. Then Joseph bought a linen cloth, and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body was laid. Now, there's a tragedy in this, and the tragic thing is this. In, in those Bible times, when the Romans were the occupying force, the tradition of the Jewish people was if, if somebody you knew, a family member or a friend, had been captured and crucified by the Romans, you were going to take that body down when, when your loved one died. It was you guys, the family, immediate family, and closest friends who would be there to receive that body, take it down, and give it a proper burial. But in this passage, nowhere is the family and closest friends of Jesus found. They're, they're, they're just absent. Where are his brothers? We know from Scripture that Jesus has brothers. Um, James ended up writing the book of James, or the letter of James in your Bible. But where's he? Where are the disciples? They're, they're gone. There's nobody there that you could classify as family or closest of friends. And even these two ladies, these ladies that are mentioned, Mary, you have Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, not Jesus, but Mary the mother of Joseph, a different Mary. I mean, they're a little bit removed. Obviously, they knew who Jesus was, but they, they were kind of just watching from a distance. They weren't really like right there. So Joseph of Arimathea, who's almost like a stranger in this story, goes and takes the body of Jesus down. So that, that's tragic. 
and, and again, if you're writing, you know, people always de wonder, debate, oh, how can the Bible be the Word of God? Well, when you look at this through the, the lens of a first century Jewish person, this is, tr this is like tragic, bad. This is like not good commercial marketing for your product, your product of having this faith in Jesus. This is, this is not a good way to, this is not a good commercial to believe in Christianity, that the founder has no disciples, friends, or loved ones to take his body down from the cross. I mean, that's bad. And that's definitely not good marketing. That's not going to win more disciples and, and people. And then you have this stranger in the text named Joseph coming to do that. Just kind of coming out of the blue. So it, it lends support to the story that this is really how it happened because this is so bad marketing that yet this is the truth of what happened. So that actually boosts the credibility of Scripture because this isn't doctored. If this were doctored, it would be like, it wouldn't be a stranger taking the body of Jesus down. It would be his family or friends. So it, it just lends credence to the validity of the story. But I want you to soak in the fact that there's tragedy here. There's, there's, this is like a tragic scene in a movie. This is like where the hero dies and nobody that supported him for all that time is there and he dies alone and and a stranger comes to help <laughs> i mean it's tragic but also i want you to see how waiting on the kingdom of god what did it do for joseph it gave him courage he actually went to pilate to say hey um i want to take this body and give it a proper burial and because he was a man who waited on the kingdom of God, now he had courage to do something for Jesus. And so I want you to see that when you are waiting on the kingdom of God, your level of courage to serve the Lord in the name of Jesus should be increasing. It should be going up. Now, I don't know how that's going to play out, like what that would look like for you. But the bottom line is waiting for God's kingdom to come through your life infuses you with courage to follow Jesus even more. You see that? And that's exactly what's happening in this text. Joseph, a man who's waiting on the kingdom of God, is drawn to do something for Jesus and, and he's putting himself at danger. Also, I want you to see this. He's going to Pilate on behalf of a quote-unquote criminal who was accused of treason against the state so much that the, the penalty was death. And he's saying, hey, um, I'm identifying with this person, and I want to take, down, take him down. He's dead. I want to take him down and give him a proper burial. He's literally identifying with Jesus and could be accused of, oh, are you a sympathizer? Are you one of them? Maybe we should crucify you too. 
and, and yet his courage is greater than his fear. I mean, he was putting everything on the line to do this. Think about that. Like, I don't know how he was wealthy, but he's a member of this Jewish elite. And, and just a few pages prior to this is the Jewish elite group condemned Jesus to death. He, he's a member of that group. And now he's going and taking down the body of Jesus. I mean, he's literally committing career suicide here and potential physical suicide by doing this because the Romans could have said, oh, we're going to nail you to the other side of that cross. And it wouldn't have been beyond them to do such a thing. But he had courage. Why? Because he was waiting on God. He had courage to serve Jesus. So I just want to encourage you guys that are listening to this that when you wait on the Lord, your courage to serve Jesus in each and every situation of life will increase. Is it? If not, add, go back to that weight lift machine in the gym, in your spiritual gym, and start, start using that some more. Start using it, and your courage will go up. All right, there's one more thing that I, I want you to see from this is not only does waiting on the Lord bring you closer to Jesus, and not only does waiting on the Lord and His kingdom give you courage to follow Jesus, I want you to see that waiting on the Lord helps you to see more clearly the poetry of God over your life. Okay, Now this is... Something that I make, I, I just think is so beautiful. I love poetry. Um, so whenever I see poetry in the text, it always excites me to bring it out to you guys and show you guys. Because I really feel like this is a beautiful thing to see. There's poetry in this story. First, th there's like a frame. There's two frames I want to point out. Remember when Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph, a different Joseph, obviously. And Joseph was his stepdad because it was the Virgin Mary who had become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And baby Jesus is born. Well, it, he was born in a stable or in a basically like a cave. Uh, there was no room at the inn. You know the whole Christmas story. Let me ask you this question. When Jesus... Jesus first came into the world as a baby. Mary's giving birth. Who was the first person to hold baby Jesus? Was it Mary? No. It was Joseph. It was the hands of a carpenter that first held the God child. So when God comes to earth as a baby, Jesus is born, it's Joseph, a man named Joseph, who first holds baby Jesus. Probably wipes him off and puts him quickly in a towel and says, here you go, Mary, <laughs> do your mother thing. <laughs> I'm sure it probably freaked him out. But it was Joseph. Now, fast forward to the end of his life, he dies. And who are the final hands that take him down upon from the cross 
and gently wrap his body in linen for burial. It's a man named Joseph. Do you just see the poetry in that? There's something special going on there. That is poetic. <laughs> that is special. Okay? Now, there's another thing that I want you to see that's special. There's, there's another one. This, this coin has two sides. I want you to turn that coin over. got one more. Go back to the manger story. Now, scholars tell us that sometimes the manger was not wood. It was actually more like a trough. And if I'm not mistaken, the Greek on when they laid him in a manger, it's basically they laid him in like a, a feeding trough which could have been carved out of rock because they were kind of like in a cave. So here's baby Jesus wrapped up and tucked to sleep in a feeding trough, which more, more than likely was carved out of rock. Fast forward to the end of his life. Here's Jesus wrapped up, tucked into a tomb, carved out of rock. Do you see the poetry of that? Now, there's definitely poetry going on there, right? What is it saying? What's the point? <laughs> I think God put that poetry in there for us to see, to, to tell us this. Even when you are most helpless and powerless, even when you feel listless and maybe even lifeless, God is writing poetry over your life. Poetry, as we know, is deep, it's symbolic, it's mysterious. And sometimes we read it and we don't always get it. I mean, Shakespeare is one of those that I like to read, but wow, it can be complicated. But one thing about poetry is it's always deeply meaningful. And I think God put this in the story as a way to tell us this. Even when you feel the most weak and the most powerless to do anything about your circumstances, God is at work, and he's so deeply and mysteriously at work in your life that one day you're going to look back and you're going to see that it was like pure poetry. And sometimes that's over the moments that scare us the most. Because let's be honest, we get scared the most when we're powerless. When we can't change our circumstances or our situation. When we feel trapped. When we feel like our circumstances imprison us in a reality that we'd rather not be in. And one day we'll look back on that. And we'll recognize the poetry of God was there all along. Why? Because he's a beautiful God who does beautiful things in the lives of his children. And he does that even when we feel the most powerless and helpless. So, waiting on God helps you to see these three things. Number one, what were they? Brings you closer to Jesus. Gives you courage to serve Jesus in his interests. And then gives you clarity to see 
and God is indeed writing poetry over your life. Maybe you don't see it right away, but you can have the confidence that one day you will. Now, there's one more thought that I wanted to leave you guys with. And the question is, when you wait for something, you're basically saying, I believe it's more important than anything else. Is waiting on the kingdom of God to come the most important thing in your life? And really, it boils down to one question. What are you living for? Are you living for God at the root of who you are? Or are all these distractions and things around us, and you're waiting for those things, the next business deal, the next job promotion, the next class to finish, you know, we, the next friendship to get, the next car, the next house, the next wardrobe. I mean, there's so many things we can be waiting for. And I'm not saying those things are bad. They're part of life, and, and they can be very good. But I think they're meant to remind us to be appetizers for the main dish. And the main dish that we're waiting for is for more and more of God's kingdom to come in us and through us. And what would that look like for you and me? In 1960, two men made a bet. And it's kind of a funny story. Because when I first read this, I almost had trouble believing it, and I, I did check it out, and it, it does hold true. <laughs> but in 1960, a guy named Bennett Cerf, who was the co-founder of Random House, made a bet with a guy named Theodore Geisel. And the bet was, for $50, can you write a children's book using only 50 unique words. In other words, if you count all the different words in the book, there'd be a total of 50 or less. And that was the bet. Well, Theodore took the bet and said, you know what? Let me write a book. And he did. And he wrote what was later known, that we all commonly know now as Green Eggs and Ham. And his pen name was Dr. Seuss. And as you know, that book has sold millions and millions and millions and millions of copies. I think he won that bet. And it's an example where less is more. Less is more. Well, we live in a, a world that wants more and more and more. It wants more things, more stuff. And it wants to convince you that you need more and more and more to be happy. But this is a passage that definitely reminds us that less can sometimes be a lot more. Waiting on the kingdom of God and letting go of everything else and making that your focus. And how that plays out in your life, I don't know. That'll be, that's unique to everyone. But waiting on that kingdom of God to come more and more in you and through you. And letting go of all these other pursuits. That, my friend, 
is a path that very few take because it's the one of less is more. But you find that Jesus is the more that outweighs everything else. And he's worth every moment of the waiting. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We need you. We pray. Teach us and help us to be a people who wait upon you with all of our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength. And it's not a passive thing. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's very active. Like in this story, what Joseph of Arimathea did was active. He wasn't passive or lazy. He was busy, but he was doing it out of waiting on the Lord. And I pray that even in our busyness, that it would be rooted in waiting on the Lord which brings a peace and a calm and a confidence that the world cannot give because we're rooted in you. Forgive us for being so distracted, for looking around at substitute things instead of focusing on you. And I pray that you would use this passage to help us to be like Joseph, to be a people who know what it's like to say, I wait upon the Lord. And he lifted me up and gave me wings of eagles to fly above the storm, to be filled with his strength and his perspective. And oh, what a life it is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.